All right. Welcome, everybody, to Intercom's Oil & Gas Podcast. Today is Monday, June 17. Uh, I am uh, Glenn Parrott, and with me today is my co-host, Mr. Aaron Vandford. Hey, Aaron, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. Hopefully you had a good Father's Day. I did. It was a great Father's Day. Awesome. But, uh, the kids treated you right, or no? <laughs> they did. They they didn't bug me too much, and I got to see him swim. So it was a good Father's Day for me. Excellent. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. The, uh, our, the uh, we have another guest here today, uh, Mr. Ken Kayani. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, really marketing and the the importance of marketing and messaging. Uh, within this industry, within oil and gas, especially during a challenging market, and this includes, you know, really sort of frustrations with investors, um, and not, you know, it's just it's not their frustration with them directly. It's it's how do I market to them efficiently and effectively, so they can hear my story and and you know, hopefully separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were. Uh, what are the best use of dollars around doing this? And then part of the reason why we have. Ken here today is to kind of talk about where, where does digital and social media fit in with this mix, and uh, but and Ken, if you don't know the the format of, well, you should know, but <laughs> you do. But uh, for the audience, uh, we also kind of take this you know moment right up front to kind of talk about things that are timely and topical, uh, recently uh, announced. And one of the things I wanted to kind of touch base on was uh, the Comstock deal uh, with with Covey Park last week. Uh, and I know that, uh, Aaron, you wrote a, a piece on that on Oil & Gas 360. Yeah, a little bit. I, I think we should call it the, the Jerry Jones deal. <laughs> and uh, so, no, Jerry Jones has, has put uh, now $1.1 billion into uh, this investment and Comstock buying – uh, Covey Park, right, and essentially making a a large uh, Haynesville pure play, and it's pretty. I think it's exciting uh, for a couple different reasons. One, if we take a look at where valuations are, and this plays into some of our discussion today on marketing and you know smaller cap names feeling like they need to get to this free cash flow and and size and scale. This deal for Comstock allowed them to kind of bridge a little bit of that gap into a larger market cap size where potentially they could uh, receive more premium valuation from an investor group. Right. Um, they get over a BCF a day of production as, a, as an aggregate, which tends to be what we're hearing from, from folks that we're talking to, one of those hurdles for the market at this point. And so that hurdle keeps going up and up and up. Uh, it's crazy to say that a BCF a day is a hurdle that the market's looking at, but that it is. <laughs> In today's market, sir. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that, that the market cap size makes them larger and, and more palatable. And then at the end of the day, this was really a deleveraging uh, play. So they ultimately came into this deal uh, levered, trying to look at my notes here real quick, um, I'll come back to it. Well, because you know, I, out out on the the sort of the, the social sphere, if you will, like on like LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, there's certainly a lot of commentary that I'd seen that wasn't necessarily supportive mm-hmm. of this. And I thought, you know, your commentary around it was was interesting. You're like, yeah, but guys, you know, how many times have you seen this occur? And and the stock price actually went up. 
four percent. It, it was something along those lines, it was right? Something, yeah. And so we we saw the stock price react, and and you know we'll we'll kind of come through uh, in the next couple of days and see how the the real um, longer term effects of this. But going back to the debt side of things, you know they they went from above three times uh, debt to EBITDA, delevered through this transaction down to 2.9 times and have a, a clear target and path to 2.0 times by 2021. And I think that's one of the real reasons why you start to see that stock price improvement. This is kind of that, that I'll call a unicorn deal that everyone's kind of looking for where they're buying cash flow uh, at a price where they're able to delever and and get a healthier balance sheet. And so that, that ticks this box as well. Yeah, and, and do you see um, how many other deals like this do you see coming along? I think we're going to see more m and I think it's going to be hard to find this type of deal. The, the, um, the Jerry Jones is to the, come in and own so, 70%? And, and that's what we're seeing in some of these deals is you're having to find someone that has a real lead stake pulling people together. So even the Ox- Occidental deal took a Berkshire Hathaway to come in and say, hey, I'm going to help get this over the over the line. Right. This one took Jerry Jones uh, to get it over the line. I can make the argument that the dollars associated to Oxy and uh, Berkshire, that was expensive money, right? Um, do you think it was a good deal for Comstock? You know, how expensive was that? You know, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think it's, I think it's a good deal. I, I like it. I okay. like it. Um, Do you think it's just because it's not only sending a message to the market or you just think it's healthy for the market? Well, so I think it's healthy for the market. So here's a, a private equity backed company who's probably getting a little long in their investment, having to find an exit, right? So it's good for them. They get to ride some of the upside from from being a shareholder alongside this. I think it's good from the overall market perspective to see real money dollars getting invested in this space, particularly right. at a time when, when look, it's a capital intensive business, but we need more investment. And so I think these, these types of deals give people a little bit more comfort. And then at the end of the day, I think this might give Comstock a, an opportunity to reinvent themselves and really become this Haynesville leader. Hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if that happens. Um, you know, some of the downsides of it is Man, you're going to have Jerry Jones as the lead guy and nothing against him, but other investors are going to come in and say, man, I'm probably not going to have a seat at that table. Right, exactly. Uh, or, you know, you, well, you may have a voice, but it's not going to be overly loud. It's not going to be overly loud. Right. And so, you know, that, that'll that be something they'll work through, I'm sure, um, probably over a, a Cowboys game. But <laughs> I'll watch. Yeah. It was funny, you know, listening to the uh, the announcement. I was I was surprised that that Jerry Jones was talking as much as he was, right? No, I mean he he, he could have sat in back and you know not said a word, right? right? But but no, he was actively there. Yeah, actively he's involved. he's not a silent partner type of guy. Just from what I've seen <laughs> on the uh, you know down at Jerry's world, and I, I was joking. Maybe all the rigs that are going to be drilling these Hainesville wells are going to have giant. Giant big screen TVs and and watching the the Cowboys <laughs> games and you know all the service providers are going to love working working on this this project. 
Okay. Well, I didn't want to get kind of, you know, too far down the road of uh, um, making this quote unquote podcast around marketing completely around uh, uh, Comstock, but I thought it was worthwhile to, to make mention of. Is there anything, any others that we, you know, kind of popping on up that we're like, yeah, we want to, you know, think about that. I could talk about certainly, you know, again, we've seen another decline in rig counts. Um, Not surprising in my Mm -hmm. mind. Um, You know, the real question is what's it going to get down to in the U.S. and by when? So, well, and some of those things that we're seeing on the rig count drop, and I think it's it's important to look at um, what are the drivers of it? Certainly price coming down. Mm Mm-hmm. M&A deals like this, so Occidental said, hey, once we put these two entities together, we're going to be running less rigs. Yeah. So there's an efficiency component, and that's not necessarily a a, uh, a, a a statement about the market. It's just, hey, we're doing better, so we need less rigs. So we continue to move down this effective rig count path, even though it, it may be slower. Uh, but yeah, with with... Oil prices coming back down closer to the $50 range, WTI, and natural gas prices coming into a summer uh, kind of slump. Mm-hmm. We're going to see rig counts come off. And and I think that all speaks to the the uh, capital discipline that these companies are, are saying that they're doing. And I think this is, you know, evidence. I think I see, again, some of the reactions out there every every week. You know, the Baker Hughes releases the numbers, and it's a it's almost a chicken little thing. Where people are like, oh my goodness, like yet again, we're going to see a rig count of 800 in the next quarter. And you're going, really? No, stop. Let's <laughs> not overreact. Well, and, and it's important not to overreact. And I think this plays into the, the discussion that we're having today because we've been out on the road uh, talking with clients. We've been to a couple different conferences here as, as an intercom team. And, you know, the sentiment from companies is, is cautious, one, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've seen this before. And then two, the big question that keeps coming out is, well, why would I market now? What, what, what benefit can I get at all from doing anything right now when, you know, all likelihood I'm, I'm probably, my share price is going to go down if I'm a public company or even on the oil field service marketing. Hey, rig count's coming down, activity level's coming down, you know, it's just a losing battle. And, and I, you know, from a marketer's perspective, and and folks that have done this throughout multiple cycles, there's real reasons to make sure that you're one continuing to market. But we need to change that playbook a little bit and and think about how we market. That's this the type. I, I got to be honest with you. That's the most frustrating thing for me is to have a conversation. Uh, and I'm not going to name names, but there are some firms that that we had discussions with, and they're like, you know what, we're we're gonna. We're just going to stand pat. We're just going to weather the storm. We don't really feel as if uh, what we anything we were going to say is going to make a difference, Glenn. And I, it, it's just sticking your head in the sand is just infuriating to me because they'll on as soon as we leave, the next thing they're going to do is complain about, well, we can't get the attention of the investors. <laughs> you know, they don't understand our story. Yeah, right. <laughs> it just drives me nuts. So that, that's my little gripe there for. Uh, Exactly to why we want to talk about marketing. Yeah. Um, and so without, other than this podcast, I'm not going to sit there and say to them directly, well, come on, get your heads out of your asses and let's, <laughs> let's have a dialogue. Uh, uh, and and how, are you, how are you planning on talking to these guys? And now they don't know. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a real so. What are the budgets that get cut quickly in a down cycle? Marketing, of course. And then it because it all becomes the conversation of well, what's my return on investment in marketing? And so you know, I know that we work on a lot with our clients on trying to identify and realize that return on investment. But some of the traditional ways that we've marketed are hard to measure in that return on investment. And so that's where I'm saying maybe if we flip the script a little bit and we talk about these other methods that that are capital light and can have a measurable return on investment, uh, let's focus on those in the near term. Let's let's build a base there. Do you differentiate? And this is a leading question because I already know the answer. But uh, do you differentiate here between your small cap guys? versus your mid-cap and your large cap in terms of how you're going to approach that marketing strategy? Yes. So we look at it probably a little bit differently only because of what may be available in that toolkit based on the size of the budget. But at the end of the day, every single company, whether you're a small, micro, nano startup to a major, has a responsibility to deliver return on investment on their marketing dollars. And so if we can help them measure that and provide opportunities to measure that spend, mm-hmm. then we're doing it right. It just by size, you have a couple other toolboxes to open up and, and use. So, you know, TV might be an option for some of these larger guys. Yeah. It may not be an option for, you know, a startup oil field service company. Oh, but, totally. And, and those larger cap guys are going to have <clears throat> their own marketing departments. Right. That all uh, have no problem sharing their opinions with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's okay. That, that yeah. actually is a good dialogue because I think at the end of the day, they get it. I think, um, you know, where, where you run into a little bit of trouble, trouble is, you know, hey, you're a small cap guy and, and you don't have that marketing department and you're looking to intercom, but you're kind of not. And, and, and then what I mean by that is that um, you you want to get that marketing message on out, but but you're you're afraid to make that spend. Yeah. So and, and where's and I, that value prop? What I would encourage folks to and and you know Ken and and your team do a lot of work on this front is to think about those things that are first on everyone's list when they go and check something out. So what do you do when you go and and you're going to make an investment? You're going to go buy a pair of shoes. You know, bring it back to B U B. You're going to buy some valves. What do you, what's the first thing you do? I know the answer to that. I do too. What do you do? <laughs> I'll uh, do a Google search. You Google this That's thing, right. Yeah. right? And and generally that you'll either find an ad, if Ken's done some work, or you'll find their website also. Or right? a very detailed blog post. Or a detailed blog That's post. Right. So these are all things that, that I think, you know, we should probably talk a little bit more about, but let's make sure the fundamentals are in place. Right. Well, okay. So to that point, you say, all right, well, hey, guys will go, yeah, of course I've got a website. I'm set. That's all I need. And and that's where, and Ken, you can jump in on this one because you see it all the time. Right. Where guys have got their their website up and they think, okay, I've checked all my boxes. So what are the other, from a digital and social standpoint, what are the boxes there that, that they're missing? That we run across most. Right. You know, it, it, so it'll depend. So if we take a public company, uh, someone who's primarily trying to grow their investor base, there's a slightly different set of fundamentals and setup than you would have for an oil field service company or someone's actually trying to provide 
not only a service and a product, but to engage more investors. So uh, when you're looking at fundamentals in a setup, you know, we try to tell people, hey, it's great to have a website, but what's your plan? How do you plan on what are what aspects are you going to set up and implement to reach your ideal audience? Right. right? So those can be investors, it could be clients, it could be future clients, current clients. So primarily you want to make sure if you're going to live digitally that um, the website's set up properly, right? You can find it. There's certain keywords that you have. You you can do research on what are the most searchable terms for people to find you and make sure that you own those and you're, you're setting that up properly. And then two, how are you going to use that platform to message out? And what we're seeing a bigger blend now between PR and media relations and digital marketing and SEO more than ever, they all kind of work together, right? So it's more of an integrated plan versus a siloed attack. So we want to make sure that we incorporate all of those stages in the plan and release them out strategically. So if you do a press release, how do you take that press release, reformat it to put it out on social? Because that press release only has a limited time frame to live and then it goes away. How do we repurpose that to keep it in front of your investors or your clients or your customers? Right. And that's actually, you know, so Ken and I were talking about this earlier. Um, and and really, there is this notion of this is the way we've always done it. Uh, I have a single press release to go out and boom, out it goes yep. all by itself. So it is that siloed approach. And, and the real challenge, I think, is uh, having getting them used to the idea of, okay, this, the, the dynamics have changed over time as to what you were saying. No, you have to think about it as more of an integrated approach, right. which is what we bring to the table on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. And Aaron, you, you, you help companies place articles and ads out into publications all the time. And if you don't have a strategy of, you know, that only has a limited lifespan, right? Right. How do you uh, have an internal group or group like ours repurpose that content to make it live and repurpose to continue to generate eyeballs and to tweak the message to bring people back? Really, what we want to do is have a hub or a home base Mm -hmm. where people are coming to look at you. They can see everything there. There's not right. It, It lives in one spot. So now you can actually track ROI. You can see, hey, we're growing our our audience here on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, whatever it may be. And then you can attribute those links into your website of what channel they're coming from, what's resonating better with your with your base, and how that converting to ROI. So I want to give you a case, uh, not a case study, but as we separate out, because we do modulate our solution set, and whether you're a EMP or an oil field service. Absolutely. Or, yeah, exactly. And so, so case in point, um, you guys were, I say you guys, you and the consulting team, Aaron, uh, were visiting with a guy and, uh, you know, his, he's, he's running a smaller, smaller ENP firm. Um, and his concern was, all right, well, you know, I need to get and engage these investors. And his big idea was to just put out a press release. Right. So, so for him, his, his goal is to communicate to investors. So you come along and you're like, Hey, digital and social, and it just doesn't resonate with them. So what do you say to that guy? Well, you know, it, it's funny. Most people who say, hey, you know, we don't like Facebook. Well, that's great. But almost everyone on the planet is on Facebook in one way, shape, or form. When you leave the office, you have to remember when people leave the office at work, they're a normal consumer, and they search and use the Internet just like everybody else. And how are you going to uh, make sure that you're in front of them 
where they live, right? It's not right. just about coming to work and I'm only on LinkedIn at work, but when I go home, I'm on Twitter and I'm using Pinterest and I'm using whatever it may be, right? I've got Feedly and I'm aggregating news articles and I can track stuff and and it's all integrated now. So you want to make sure that um, wherever you think your audience lives is where you want to put your message, right? No, that's right. And we, we speak a lot here about the rule of seven, right? And so someone to invest in you or to buy your product needs to interact with your your message seven different times. And so that could be a, a Facebook page, that could be a press release, that could be a phone call, but it has to be seven consistent messages to where they get comfort with what you are really all about. And so that's one of the, the key things that I think our clients uh, are, are working toward, particularly in a environment where, hey, maybe I do my website this year and then in a couple of years I'll go do this and then all right, we've kind of changed and adjusted a little bit. Those messages diverge a little bit. And so now that rule of seven, if they're not consistent, are now actually competing with each other and actually making it more difficult for companies to make that seventh connection to where someone can make a, a positive interaction with your your stock or your your buying. And, and so that's really important. But I think that that's a lot of the work when we think about measurable and IR creating a uh, – return on your invested dollars for marketing, we can make those adjustments pretty quickly. We can see what's working. And so when you do your digital and social campaigns with clients, we can actually see how many times someone's engaging, how many times that's flowing through, even down to using phone numbers to say, hey, this lead came through this phone number. We know it's that channel that's doing this. And now we're, we're actually having actionable data to be able to say, hey, let's do more of this and less of that. And it's okay to have marketing efforts that don't work. They're not all going to be gems. Yeah, exactly. And but <laughs> if you don't take the time to look at, at the returns or you're not getting anything, it may be years down the road before you say, hey, we didn't get anything out of that. Yeah. But if we can shorten that cycle to say, hey, last week that didn't really work. Right. Let's let's adjust. Dude, it's a constant educational experience for when we're having these discussions with companies. Yeah. Because, and, and I, I, you know, it's just... I still, I think it's funny to look back to, uh, it was, I think it was a comment that you'd made. Uh, um, you know, one of these guys, you got this on the one hand, you have a sort of a uh, an older generation on the, it was an EMP company. And on the flip side, you're sitting over there talking with this investor. And, you know, these some of these investors, man, they're all like, now they're 30 years old and they're all carrying around their, their phones and you know, what did he say to you? He's like, yeah, just, just text all this information out over you. Cause that's how they consume it. Absolutely. Well, you know, you have to think if I'm an investor, I'm going to use every tool I can to research and get as much analytics I can before I put my dollars to work. And I'm going to use every tool. And usually that means online. So if I'm using Twitter hashtags, if I'm going to the company's website, if I'm looking at their blog, how they're communicating, things of that nature, but you, you bring up a really good point. So if, the law of seven, but you could probably argue now with all the digital traffic, it could be a law of 15 to 25, whatever it may be. And what usually what will happen is people go out to a, a show, come speak at the conference, talk to their group, and then kind of leave. And then they do their earnings, and then they kind of leave, right? But these are scheduled calls you're supposed to do. You're not really coming out and saying, hey, we've been doing this. We've seen this type of success. And really talk about how you're rectifying or growing a situation. And so... What the digital space will allow you to do is bridge that gap. So if you think you need seven touches, it could take you three years to get that seven touches if you're not 
having a plan to make that happen in six months, right. four months, right? So we want to make sure that, you know, you would want to work with a company that would stage this out and plan it for you, find out where your audience lives, what the subsets of those are, and how to attack them through the year and not just at an event or a conference, right? So if, if right. I'm an oil service company, I go to three conferences, I get a bunch of business cards, I make a couple phone calls, well, I have to wait till next year. If I'm not proactively going out and stating what my value proposition is to that audience, shame on me. I'm going to make that seven years. We could literally bridge that gap 30 days, 40 days. You could literally become the mayor of that audience in a short period of time with all these tools that are available to you. And that that's you touch on a really important point, particularly in this investor relations space and in some of the conversations I've had with folks of, well, we've put out a press release. We've told people about this. Yeah. And that Great. that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. You said, <laughs> "Do they do they get it?" Well, no, they're they're missing this point. Well, what do you do about that? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about it on our call coming up, I guess. Yeah, and in the and, meantime, between that post, between that press release, and by the time they have that conversation, right? How much time has gone by where you've given them room for interpretation, right? And then if you continue to go down that path, and so prolong that path just a little bit longer, all of the conversations that are happening in these boardrooms, and, and I, I truly believe that we have management teams in this space right now that are thinking really creatively and in, in finding ways to, to create value. And a lot of really, really hard work is happening, um, whether it be from, from M&A or balance sheet changes, all of this stuff is on the table. And they're spending so much time and effort but if you if you do all of that work and you don't tell anyone about it and you just expect to get value out of doing it, you're missing the boat. And, and then the other part of that is if you don't market while you're doing that creativity and and really the hard work and you wait until times are good, you're going to be six months behind everyone else. That's that that took is doing the time it. to say, hey. Here are the things we are doing to be proactive in this type of environment. And so that that to me is is one of the key things that companies could be doing today is exploring with their investors, with their buyers. This is how we are coming along to help our clients, whether it be an oil field service or customers. This is what we're doing in the boardroom to make sure that this company is sustainable for the long term. Those are all important marketing messages that can and will resonate during a down cycle and know your stock price probably isn't going to go up the day that you say something. Right. But man, it, it probably will when things start to turn around a little bit, or you may not find the trough that everyone else will find that's not marketing. And those are important. Yeah, I agree. Well. You know, you talk a lot about getting this message out and the instant gratification of having a, a big position made the next day or whatever it may be. But the, the longer term strategy here is you're building a brand right? Yeah. Your, your communication, your value, uh, you've got a great management team. You want people to like, know, and trust that they know what they're doing. And you can't do that if you don't communicate. So uh, it doesn't really have to be extravagant, really. It just needs to be consistent. So, um, you know, you don't like an analyst comment to say, how do you deal with that, right? The digital platform allows you to really solve that, address it, and then track where the value came from. Now you can't do that with uh, you can do it a little bit with a press release, but it's a one-time shot. So, okay. so uh, I'll just 
sure, yeah. shameless plug here for right. Intercom in that just by way of example, and, and that's really how the profiles came out on Oil & Gas 360, was companies saying, all right, I've released this press release and I've had analysts sort of misinterpret exactly what it is. But the profile, what it provides is it provides companies the ability to, you know, once a month or, or more, clarify that message consistently over time. So somebody can come up to Oil & Gas 360, they can take a look, they can pull up, you know, Tamarack Valley or whatever, which is a profile company on Oil & Gas 360, and, and really, oh, okay, that's what Ron was talking about. Okay, now I got it. So um, Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you'll send out a press release. You'll put a copy of the press release on your website. Uh, if it's misinterpreted, then you got to do a new press release and hope that everyone gets it. What are, the, what are the tools that you can use, like a profile company on Oil & Gas 360, to actually put out a statement and have it get out to the right audience and have it trackable, right? So you can see that this is actually being read and, and viewed and opened. And then from there, um, how can you reshare that on other platforms, your site, other sites? So a, a good PR firm, marketing firm, advertising firm would use these all together to make sure that that comment or that uh, correction is shared other than just additional press release. Yeah. And, and one other, so I'm looking here at a, at a, a blog that I was reading this morning. And it was talking about some statistics on marketing. And one of the really one, ones that popped out for me says 80% of business decision makers, and this is B2B marketing, uh, prefer to get their information from a series of articles versus an advertisement. And, and to me, I would take that one step further to say, hey, I don't want it just from a press release. I want to be able to verify in multiple places. This goes back to that rule of seven idea. I want to be able to verify in multiple different places that, hey, this this is kind of a holistic message that I'm getting and I'm building that trust. Right. Um, and so, I mean, 80% is a big number to be, to be working through on, on making sure that we're finding those places in a, a multiple different ways. Right. Uh, this is exactly why we created the brand app platform, right? So we allow companies who don't have a platform to put their, their comments on, they don't have a blog, they're not going to write. Where can I publish an authoritative piece that people can read and not just buy a banner ad? Where can I put my my uh, thoughts on paper that resonate with people and track where conversations are coming from? So we, we actually built a program for people to actually put their message out, thought leadership pieces, not just banner ads, right? You can do one or two. But if that is truly the case, which we know it is, then you'd want to make sure that you're using any platform you can to get that message out and have it shared to as many people as possible. Yeah, and that's just one of many of the tools in your toolbox sure, because because we've had companies come to us and where we're actually managing uh, that communication process. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, if they have it built, we we help manage it for them. If they don't have the backbone and they're not going to go build a blog and have it, well, we've got a solution for them. Yeah, and I think that's important. So one other stat that came out of this thing, and I think it it speaks to oil and gas three hundred and sixty and a lot of the stuff that you're able to do is 73% of, of customers get frustrated with websites when content, uh, whether it's ads or offers or promotions, sponsored content, appears that has nothing to do with their interests. And so being able to go through that targeting uh, exercise to say, who, do you, who are the natural buyers of what you're trying to, to promote? And how do we get it in front of that specific audience? We do it with Oil & Gas 360. We can do it with social 
we can do it with with other platforms but really taking that you know very targeted approach um is well received as at least these guys are saying and i i know we we see it every day but it, it's nice to see it pop up in some numbers too no i kind of th- when i hear that because uh, i haven't seen this article you were talking about um yet <laughs> but uh um when I, when I hear that, I'm also thinking about uh, something that you're doing, Ken, and that's, it's this, uh, you know, like chat widgets, right? Um, where literally it can ask you these questions and lead you down a path. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so anytime that you're going through this rule of seven and you want to drive people back to interact with your with your site, um, your content, once people land there, um, the only way to really start a conversation was just hope they would call the phone number, go to the contact page, fill out a form, call the phone number. And a lot of people, regardless of who they are, right, don't really like to be sold. So they just want to do enough research and then reach out. And what the big trend with digital marketing now is uh, basically all centered around conversion, right? I get you to my piece of content, either it's a blog article or my page. How am I going to convert you into a conversation? So it's called conversational marketing now. So these little chat bots come up and it knows I came from this channel and can directly ask me a question regarding that content and lead into a, to a conversation. Right. right. So you'd want to use, you know, a mixture of owned, earned and paid media. And when these people come in through these different channels of how they interacted, that chat widget would pop up. We're seeing very big conversion rates, even with our own tests that we've run, that, that's been wonderful. Uh, you can actually guide them through a series of questions to get on this, get on a phone call and actually talk to the person about having a meaningful conversation moving forward, what they're interested in. To yeah. Do. And it, this is all along the fronts of turning a cold call, essentially what it used to be absolutely into a warmer conversation. Uh, and, and the further you can get down that, you know, the play, funnel. play the hot right. and cold yeah. game. Yeah. You know, when, when you're on fire, as far as you can get your marketing to take you in that direction, the easier those conversations are. Right. right. So another stat would be B2B leads convert like 140 some percent more than a B2C lead. And because the person who's working for the company that's actually looking for a solution is when it ready to take action immediately to get it off their plate or to get it to work. Right. So the faster that especially in the B2B space, that you can guide them through a conversation sequence. You know, the more you're going to have, a more conversations you're going to have, the more money you're going to make, the higher IRI you can have for your for your time. So, um, okay, we've really covered a, uh, a broad spectrum. We've kind yeah. of gone all the way from, I mean, you're, uh, a lot of this activity that I see that, that what you're working on is mostly with uh, oil field tech guys, um, oil field service guys, um, yeah, right. and, Software companies. Yeah, exactly. Selling that product, but we've we've the spectrum runs also from we started this conversation with how do you message on out to investors if you're an EMP group, you know, all the way through to hey, I'm a, a services guy and this is what I'm trying to do. So there's solutions across the board. So I guess let's let's see if we can't uh, wrap it up around sort of lessons learned, yeah, uh, or the or what are the lessons, primary lessons coming on out of here. And if I think about it when we started this conversation. Number one in my mind is, um, and I'm thinking about it, not I guess just from EMP perspective, but if you don't control your message, somebody else will. That, I guess, so. At the highest level, you bet. Oil yeah. company guy, uh, if you don't want to, and if, you, if, if all you're going to do is complain about 
hey, investors don't understand my story. Well, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah. No, I, I think, and I'll take that one step further to to the things that I think we really need to focus on in this type of environment. And this goes across the investment space on through to the other side uh, of, of working with my customers to, to sell products is make sure you control your message in the spaces where you can. So your website, your social media, the things that you own, make sure you have those really dialed in. Two, take a customized approach. Know your audience. Help Get help if you need help identifying who that target is. And then take a really targeted approach on getting to those folks. That way, you can measure that return and continue to build off of it. And so, in a way, you are taking those dollars and putting them towards the highest and best use. Right. And those tools that you use across the investor relations, you know, oil field service marketing, private equity marketing, can all vary a little bit. And what you're going to use and push and pull those levers are going to change. But at the end of the day, really take a targeted approach and make sure you're controlling the things that you really have control over. And the first thing on that list, in my mind, is always the website. Right. I agree. Yeah, I, you know, um, the website just, you know, a lot of people use it as just, you know, it's a new flashy brochure, right? doesn't really matter. We're not going to put much on there, just bare bones. But the more you, you know, we can probably have to do another podcast on this whole idea of, of really how to use your website to communicate to people. Um, really embrace, hey, this is a communication tool and use it as a communications tool and not just a, another. But within a brochure. larger, cohesive absolutely. plan. In other words, right. just don't throw a website out there yeah. without any type of plan around it. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay. All righty. Well, that's what I've got at this point. Anything else? Because we're running up around 40 some odd minutes around this. So, um, Aaron, no. anything else? I got nothing else. Kenny. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, Ken, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. I really appreciate do. it. No, thanks for being here. Um, I know that you've got a lot more that you could probably talk about because we've, we've had these discussions. But uh, really appreciate you coming on out here. And uh, as we get questions that come on in, uh, if anybody does have a question for myself or Aaron or Ken, uh, you can always uh, email us at uh, ogpodcast at intercominc.com. And until next time, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you later. Bye now.